Hello everyone, and thank you for joining me on this podcast all about a really fundamental biological molecule. In fact, you could argue it's, it's perhaps the most fundamental molecule. It is ATP, or adenosine triphosphate. Now the reason why it is so fundamental is because it's the body's main source of energy. It's the main energy source to carry out metabolic processes, processes within the actual cells. So in this podcast, what I want to do is talk about the structure of ATP, and then relate it to its kind of function and explain a little bit more about why ATP is known as a really good energy donor, but not a good long-term energy store. So let's start from the beginning. As I said, ATP stands for adenosine triphosphate. It's a phosphorylated macromolecule, so a large molecule made up of adenosine. Now adenosine, we could break down further into the adenine base and ribose sugar. So ribose sugar is a pentose sugar, and when I say adenine base, if we think about DNA in terms of A, T, C, G, the bases, A stands for adenine. So the adenine base with the ribose sugar forms adenosine. But we also have, in this uh, phosphorylated macromolecule, a chain of three phosphate groups. Now there's one real key question I'd like to address at this point in the podcast, and that's why some class a molecule of ATP as a nucleotide. Now, when we think about nucleotides normally, we think about we tend to think about nucleic acids, DNA, RNA. And when we think about DNA, so a DNA nucleotide, it consists of a sugar, a phosphate, and a base. And here we have the sugar, the ribose sugar. We have three phosphates, and we have the base, adenine. So whilst it doesn't quite look like the typical nucleotide we talk about when we talk about the structure of DNA, you can see why some would argue that I say argue, why someone might suggest that ATP as a molecule looks like a nucleotide and can be classed as one. So there's a little bit about the structure of ATP. And let's just talk about the reactions that ATP undergoes, because it's a really simple one when we think about hydrolysis and condensation. And it's one that's really crucial to all metabolic processes. So if you imagine starting with ATP to begin with. If we look at the hydrolysis reaction that could occur, so when we split ATP using water, we get energy released. ATP gets converted into ADP, adenosine diphosphate, and we get the release of just one of the P's. And sometimes when you write the symbol equation, I say sometimes, you, you really should write it with a little I in brackets because it's an inorganic phosphate. So ATP can break down to become ADP and the spare third P, if you like. And that's catalyzed by the enzyme ATPase. Now, if we look at the converse of that, so I said that was hydrolysis releasing the energy. If we were to go the other way and look at the P, the inorganic phosphate joining ADP, adenosine diphosphate, which are a molecule with two phosphates. So what we're talking about here really is a condensation reaction. Then we can reform our ATP. And in a condensation reaction, what we're ultimately doing is removing water. So if we have ADP with P and remove the water, we're able to reform ATP. And a good way to think about it is that ultimately Whenever we want to form energy, or the body's form of energy, we want to form ATP, we have a condensation reaction, and whenever we want to use energy, think of it that way, for a metabolic process, 
then we need the hydrolysis reaction. We need to break ATP down into ADP and P. It's a very simple uh, reaction. And in fact, it's, a, it's actually a cycle. When we think about cycles in biology, we often like, I know speaking from experience, students of mine often think about the big cycles, so like the menstrual cycle, uh, Krebs cycle, Calvin cycle. But here we have a very simple cycle with only the few components in, and it's the breakdown and formation of adenosine triphosphate. Now, why is that so important? Well, let's think about actual bonds between phosphate groups. Because if we look at the actual bonds between the phosphate groups, what you find is that they're really unstable. They have a very low activation energy and they break easily, releasing lots of energy. Now, that's important because if we're going to use ATP as our, our main energy source in the body, we, we really need that. We need it to release lots of energy when we break it down. Now, often only the terminal phosphate is removed because that last bond if you imagine this structure, so if you imagine the adenine base attached to the ribose sugar and then just in a chain, three particular phosphates, the bond between the sugar and the first phosphate only provides a little bit of energy. The next bond, if you like, between the first and the second phosphate will provide some energy, but we get a lot of energy released just when we break the final bond, the bond between, say, the second and the third inorganic phosphate. It is possible to resynthesize ATP, as I've said, using ADP and the phosphate. And we also need an enzyme. Now, I said ATPase was used to break it down. When we want to reform it, this time we need ATP synthase. And that might be familiar to some of the listeners because ATP synthase is one of the enzymes we talk about when we look at aerobic respiration, or particularly uh, the stage called oxidative phosphorylation. But we also get this in stages of photosynthesis, particularly photophosphorylation. Now it occurs, it also occurs in fact, in plant and animal cells when phosphate groups are transferred from donor molecules. And that's something called substrate level phosphorylation. But I can talk about that in a later podcast. So let's talk about ATP as an actual molecule. Well, it's a great energy donor. And I said I wanted to address why it's a good energy donor, but not a good store. It's a great energy donor because it's readily released in, as I've said, a very simple reaction. But it's like a double-edged a double -edged sword in a way. Because ATP is an immediate energy source in a cell, it's not a good long-term energy store. It's way too unstable as a molecule to be stored. It is small and it is soluble as a molecule. And that's handy because it can't exit the cell. And you might think, well, why is that beneficial if we can't have this molecule not not being able to leave the cell and maybe it might be required by some other kind of part of the body? Well, what it means is it can be transported across the whole cell because it is soluble, but it's always available. It stays within that cell. So if you have a cell with mitochondria, which we do, animal cells have, if we think about us, mitochondria in them, and the mitochondria is the site of aerobic respiration, it generates ATP for us. We don't need ATP to leave the cell. It can stay in the cell and it's always readily available. Now, a really interesting thing about ATP is that each ATP molecule releases less energy than each glucose molecule does. Now you might think, well, what's the advantage of releasing smaller quantities of energy for reactions? 
But what it means is that you have more manageable energy sources and there's less wastage. The breakdown of ATP to ADP, as I've said already in this podcast, is a single reaction. But the breakdown of glucose is a long series of reactions. If you've studied aerobic respiration, you'll know what I'm talking about. We've got all of glycolysis, then we move into the link reaction, then Krebs, then oxidative phosphorylation. So what we could say, ultimately, is that the energy released from reactions involving glucose are therefore a lot slower. ATP is continuously made in mitochondria. I, I said just a moment ago that they're... Uh, mitochondria are the site of aerobic respiration, and that is where we produce ATP. Muscle cells and epithelial cells in the small intestine, for example, require large quantities of them. And in fact, this is a question that exam papers particularly love asking students. Why, why muscle and epithelial tissue would have lots of mitochondria in their cells? And it's because the muscle requires lots of ATP to function, and ATP is needed for active transport of molecules into the bloodstream through the villi. So it makes sense that particular cells in the body that have high energy or high metabolic demands would have lots of mitochondria and therefore would produce lots of this ATP. Now, to kind of wrap up this podcast, it's only a short one I wanted to do about this molecule, just a little bit about the kind of its structure and then related it to its function, is uh, just to talk about what it's vital for and i use in my own lessons an acronym and i say mamas m-a-m-a-s and each letter represents a different thing that atp is useful for it's a good way to kind of summarize its really key roles in the body and the first m stands for metabolic reactions because atp is used to provide energy for other reactions such as uh, synthesis of polysaccharides from monosaccharides polypeptides from amino acids. So that's just a few. This, the A in mammas represents active transport. ATP provides the energy to change the shape of carrier proteins in membranes, enabling molecules to be moved against a concentration gradient, to be actively pumped from one place to another. The second M in mammas is for movement, because ATP provides the energy for muscle contraction and I'll talk about that in a separate podcast as well the slide particularly the sliding filament theory of muscle contraction really fascinating subject a also represents the activation of molecules now this is really important ATP is used to add or transfer a phosphate to other substances and when it does that it makes them much more reactive and it actually changes their shape now, what that does in turn is lower the activation energy of that molecule. So, as you might re recollect, especially when we talk about activation energy, we start thinking about enzymes. So, enzyme-catalyzed reactions can occur much, much faster. And the final S in this acronym of MAMAS represents secretion. ATP is needed to form lysosomes, and they're involved in secretion of cell products. So that's metabolic reactions, active transport movement, activation of molecules, and secretion. Five big key roles that ATP, adenosine triphosphate, is involved in. And in lots of other podcasts that I've recorded, uh, and will go on to record, ATP really is a crucial component. So I thought it was just uh, worthwhile just producing a podcast specifically about this really important biological molecule just about how it's really simple structure and very simple reaction to break it down and form it, 
is so critical to all of these metabolic functions that we have in our body. Okay, thank you everyone for listening.